in Church Sadarat. My name is Rashad. I am one of the uh, ministers here at Church on the Rock. Um, we do that to make sure you're awake, especially on daylight savings, right? And so um, it's nothing to glorify me or nothing like that. I just want to make sure you are in the room with me, ready to receive the word of God. So my name is Rashad, not Rashid, not Radish, not Richard, Rashad. And so I'm going to do that one more time for those of you who this may be your first time, plus the kids love it. Good morning, Church on the Rock! See, people purposefully said, like, the wrong name up there. So uh, we just heard the song, Good, Good Father. And um, everything that I'm about to preach on has to deal with the power of a testimony. So I'm going to have three people come up, Gracie, Malia, Emily. Um, I'm going to have these three people come up. You don't know them, and here's the thing. They didn't know they was going to do this this soon because last service we did it after the sermon. So this puts them on the spot. I want to show you how... Um, be, if it's your testimony, if it's really your encounter with Jesus Christ, you don't need to prepare for that. The whole um, be ready in season and out of season is not about ha- Yeah, she wasn't prepared. No, I'm just <laughs> it's not about having three points and a conclusion. Um, it's about being ready to tell people for the hope you have in Christ. So I just want you to see uh, this in action with people who you guys weren't prepared to do it right now, right? Excellent, excellent. That's what we want because I'm not prepared either. So <laughs> we'll start with you. Introduce yourself and just pass it on down. Um, hi. Uh, I'm Gracie. Um, so like you said, we are not prepared. So I'm going to start, I guess, from where I usually start. I was raised in a Christian home. My dad is a youth pastor. My mom is the Sunday school coordinator at our church. And it was great. I learned a lot about God, but a lot of the stuff I knew was just something I knew in my head. I didn't really have an actual relationship, which meant that when middle school hit, I was not ready for all that came my way. Um, we, uh, there was a, I went through a really dark time where there's a few deaths in my family as well as um, a really hard situation that I just didn't know how to deal with well. And it got to the point, I just kept losing hope in the situation. It got to the point where I contemplated taking my own life. Um, And at some point, I remember just saying, God, give me something. And at that point, things just started to fall into place. My mom learned about this small group, for a a girls group. And she's like, you're going to this. Because at that point, I didn't really leave the house that often. And so I'm like, fine, whatever. But it was a great opportunity for me because it helped me learn how to put my hope in Christ through the people there as well as the Bible verses that we were reading. And it was amazing. And from there, I've, it's just kind of my relationship has grown with him. And I've learned to put my hope and trust in all that I am in him and make him just the rule of my life. All right. because I'm terrified of public speaking, but it's not me talking, it's God speaking through me with his spirit. So, now I will tell you the part that I prepared. And then I'll tell you the part that I didn't prepare. So, um, I was raised in a Christian home, and um, after um, 
growing up learning about God, I was about 15 and I went on my very first missions trip out of the country to El Salvador. And while I was there, I felt like I was really close to God and I felt like I was doing what I needed to do to be a good Christian. But um, when I came home, um, it didn't take long for that like really good feeling to go away. So I was like, I must have done something wrong because I don't feel the way I had before. Um, so I went back to El Salvador the next summer um, hoping to get that feeling back, but it wasn't what I was expecting. It wasn't the same. Uh, so after that, I kind of tried to get that back again, but not really. I mostly just went through the motions at church. Um, so then a few years later, I went on another mission trip, this time with an organization called Royal Servants. And um, at our training camp, a speaker was teaching us about what it looks like, what our faith to follow God looks like, not based on feelings, but based on the facts. So if following Jesus is like a train, the uh, we're driven by the facts like an engine, we're fueled by faith like a coal car, but the feelings are in the caboose. The feelings follow. Because if feelings are leading us, then the train's going backwards and downhill. Because feelings lie to us sometimes. Um, so I might not always feel like God is really close, but I have faith that his spirit's in me. And um, that faith has continued to grow since then. And um, has transformed my life and will continue to bear much fruit. The part that I didn't prepare. <laughs> While I was preparing my testimony, I was freaking out because I hate public speaking and I'm terrified, but not that much right now. <laughs> but I was. So, and as I was freaking out, I was, my leaders were reminding me like, Emily, why are you doing this? Are you doing this for yourself? Or are you doing this to glorify God? And I was like, oh man, I'm totally just trying to make myself look good. But it's not about me, it's all about God. And that verse, 2 Timothy 1.7, I think, um, God gives me a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. And any time like, that I've, in the past few weeks that I've been sharing my faith, I've been able to lean on that verse, lean on God's power, because God's power through me is the only reason that I'm able to stand here and not melt into a little ball. <laughs> and praise God, because, because I can stand and speak to you, I know that God is real, and I know that God's in me. Hi guys, I'm Malia. Um, gonna tell you a little bit about myself. I also grew up in a Christian home. Um, I'm the oldest kid in my family, so a lot of responsibility was put on me. I, man, when I showed up to school, I showed up on time. I got good grades. I was respectful to my teachers. Um, at church, I was on the worship band. I helped lead worship. Um, so I was put on this like pedestal where everyone could see everything I was doing and I was being an example. And it was a lot of pressure. And 
although there were standards that certain people put up to me, I put a lot of pressure on myself. So I just felt like I was doing everything in my own power. And when I got closer to the end of high school, during my senior year, I was really freaking out about being an adult because, you know, what are you gonna do when you have all the resp responsibilities on yourself and even more pressure and more attention is being put on you, um, especially with my younger siblings watching me, the middle schoolers and high schoolers at my church watching me, just being prepared to see like, what is Malia gonna do? Is she gonna, what amazing things does she have like planned for her future? And the thing is, I had a relationship with God. And for me, it was like, yeah, we're good, we're cool, you know? And, you know, but he was just like something big in my life, but he wasn't my everything. Um, and that, that doesn't work out, you know? <laughs> so I, I got closer to graduation and I was freaking out and I was just like, you know what? I, I have nowhere to go, I have nowhere to run. And I mean, me and God were okay, but I was like, he, he can't do anything, you know? So. I, I ran to a person, a guy, and we started dating. Nothing weird happened. Um, it seemed like a healthy relationship. But the thing is, he, he didn't see God as everything either. He didn't see him as someone who should be the leader of my life. And because of that, um, I knew that it would ruin this like image I had of myself in front of everybody. So... I dated him in secret, and it was really hard because I had a really close relationship with my parents and with my friends, and I started to distance myself from them. And even at night, like, I felt so suffocated in my own home from the lies and from the hiding that I would just, like, sneak out at night at, like, 3 in the morning and just, like, not return until, like, maybe 6, right before my parents woke up and they'd have no idea. And it just was, like, eating me up inside. I just... I was like, I, I sh I'm supposed to be happy. This, this guy's supposed to make me feel like I'm confident and that like I can be an adult and graduate and go to college or whatever. And that just wasn't it. And I felt this conviction one night and I was just like, God, like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm gonna do with my future. And he's like, Malia, like, I've been here this, this whole time. This whole time. And he was like, Malia, if you, if you want to be my friend, if you want me to be there for you, you gotta let me in. You gotta make me not just this big thing in your life, I have to become your everything. And I can't have this guy in my heart um, rivaling with God for the throne of like my desire and my love. And so I, I broke it off with him and it was like really confusing for him because nothing weird was going on in our relationship, we were fine, it was like a, a healthy relationship. But I knew that I couldn't, I couldn't do this because God needed to be my everything. And so I did that. It's really painful, you know, when you form emotional bonds with someone. And my friends started looking at me weird. They're like, why are you doing these weird things, breaking up with this guy, like suddenly becoming this weird Christian girl? And I was like, because seriously, like, where am I going to run to? Like, it's just God. It's me and God. And honestly, um, since doing um, this discipleship school that I've come with that we're visiting here, um, honestly, like, so much healing and so much heart transformation has happened that, like, I don't even worry about that dude. Like, he's probably doing whatever. But, like, God, 
has become like my everything. And man, there's nothing I wouldn't do to keep sacrificing things for him because he's always faithful and has never let me down. So yeah. And give it up for <laughs> Thank you, sis. You gotta do that like customary hug, right? All right, everybody. Um, so you guys know we just kind of go with the flow here. And um, I've always said, you know, we've been doing this, this language of uh, the gas station, of how we just want to equip and send out. And so when a school comes down, a discipleship school comes down uh, to spend time with us, it's our responsibility to give them those opportunities to, you know, be encouraged and be equipped and share their testimonies and things like that. But it also is going to tie into everything that we're doing. So Clinton, once again, thank you, bro, for, like, playing. I didn't know how long they was going to talk. So that was on, that's on them. Don't blame me. Give it up for Clinton. Go. We only do that because he hates it. That's the only reason we do it. All right. So, hey, um, all week long, perhaps you've been like me. I've been sitting in front of my TV every morning watching TV, and um, it's been coronavirus, sunny weather, coronavirus, cold weather, <laughs> uh, Lakers won, coronavirus. Patriots stink, coronavirus, right? Uh, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> and so um, there's a lot of stuff out there that's memes and everything. People are upset, scared, and all, everything around. But the sons of Issachar in the Bible knew their times. They knew how to take whatever was going on in the world and relate it to the people because that's where they're at. That's where their attention is. Everybody's talking about the coronavirus everywhere I look, Right. And so I've been praying and just asking God what we was going to preach because we've been in Romans and we just got finished teaching the USU. All that outward religion, outward rituals, outward respect will not save you. It's your inner response, those testimonies, your inner righteousness because of Jesus Christ that saves you. And so it's just natural that before we jump into the next series of Romans in Romans 3, we take a break and just start to really press in on the power of the testimony. So uh, the name of today's sermon is We Are God's Virus. We Are God's Virus. Now, as you see, there's dots after each letter. So you know your boy got an acronym, right? Right? Like that's, you know how it goes around here. It's not alliteration. It's an acronym. Although in India, I couldn't use any of that stuff, so it didn't work. But look, We Are God's Voices. Inviting repentance unto salvation. We are God's voices. This is my first point. God's voices who are inviting repentance unto salvation. And this is important because it looks at you, and just like with Malia and Gracie and Emily who were just up here, just sharing their testimony, just using their voice. You didn't hear soteriology this, pneumatology that, eschatology this. You didn't hear all that doctrine, which is not a bad thing. But that's what's keeping a lot of you from going out and sharing the gospel. Your immediate response is, I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not saved enough, whatever that means. I don't know the Bible inside out. I can't name the scripture from the top of my head. And you think that you don't have a voice to infect the world for the kingdom. And so I wanted to talk about this, just bouncing around a couple of scriptures so you can see this. We start off in John, in John 1. What happens is, uh, John the Baptist, is, is, this is how he's defined. He came as a witness, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to what? To use his voice to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. It says he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Each of those young ladies that were just up here, they were not telling you they were Jesus. 
They were not telling you how great they were. They were not telling you how articulate they were or any of that. They kept pointing to the story of what led them to Christ, humbled them enough to go to Christ, surrender to Christ, and then Christ took it from there. And this is something that would, like, push you out these doors the way we're asking you to if you stop thinking in your theology that you save people. What, when did we preach that you were the light? Anybody? Have we ever said you were the light? Well, we have, technically, right? But it's you. You're like a moon Christian, right? The moon has no light in itself. It reflects the sun, S-O-N, right? Ooh, come on now. You you felt that? All right. It reflects the sun in the darkness, right? The, The moon has no light by itself, but it reflects the sun and gives light in darkness. So you're not testifying about your light, you moons. Don't know if that works. <laughs> but, but you are reflecting the light of Christ, the Son. And so John the Baptist was not the light. He just spoke about the one who was the light. That's the voices that are inviting repentance into salvation. That's what you're called to be. If you are a believer, every one of you, you're like, I don't know what my calling is. I don't know what my calling is. Maybe you don't know your specific calling yet. But every single believer is called to invite repentance into salvation. Every single one of you, that is your first mission. Go make disciples. Go make disciples. How? Inviting them into repentance, into salvation. So it goes on. (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) Right. Look, God just told me he was done. He's like, up. Get off stage. We're good. We're good now, right? <laughs> Mic drop. Everybody's supposed to make disciples. That's it. Get off stage, Rashad. All right, so we're going to keep going. If he allows me, we're going to keep going. So, again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus and, and, uh, as he walked, and what did he say? He said, behold the Lamb of God. He didn't teach a whole bunch of theology. He simply looked at Jesus, looked at the people who he was discipling, and said, look, the Lamb of God. Now, think about this. Before I was a Christian, I still had disciples. I still had people who were following me, people who I had influence over. And now that same, those same relations, when Christ got a hold of me, and, and like you said, they were like, uh, Malia, you said they were like, you, you're kind of weird now, you this Christian girl. It's like, yeah, look, the Lamb of God, right? <laughs> like, like I still had this intimate relationship with the people I was in the studio with. I used to, you know, sell weed with. I used to drink alcohol with. All those people, I still had access to them. So in the midst of that access... When Christ got a hold of me, the people I was discipling for the enemy, I began discipling for Christ. And I didn't have a whole bunch of theology. I didn't know nothing. I thought the Gospels was a singing group like the Temptations. I'm dead serious. They had Mark, John, Luke, some white boys that sing. Okay. I'm just being real. And yet, I knew what Jesus had done in my life. So I just said, man, it's just Jesus, the Lamb of God. And I just pointed to him. So in John's case, John the Baptist's case, the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. They heard the voice. They heard him speak. They heard him testify. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. 
So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. I'm just I'm building some stuff here in this story. There's all kinds of theology in there, but we got a couple things we just want to point out, all right? And so Andrew, he found first his own brother, Simon, and said, spoke to him, we have found the Messiah. You see that? You see how this multiplication is happening? And like I said, I'm, being sensitive to all, we've been praying hard for all those who are sick. Um, what, even if it's not the coronavirus, it could just be uh, the flu right now, right? We have a lot of people in here who are sick right now. But, but not, not in here, like that are not here because they're sick, okay? They're, they're, they're like, and we just did greet people. Like, no, th- that they're not here. We're, we're missing people because they're sick. I'm sorry. My fault, my fault. But look, but look. Here's the thing. This is what I'm trying to get across. If you study a virus, if you study coronavirus even, what you'll find is exactly what Jesus meant when he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. You will be my virus. Because why? Because you don't belong here. Just like a virus doesn't belong in the body. You don't belong here. If you are a believer, Philippians 3.20 says that you are from the kingdom. Now, this, your home is in heaven. You are temporary, pa- temporarily passing through here, and your responsibility is to infect everybody with the love of Christ. That's your mission, soldier. That's what you're supposed to be doing. You're on mission to infect this entire world, as many as possible, with the virus of the love of Jesus Christ. And so if you watch how this thing is spread You'll see exactly, we're getting one of the greatest examples of what we should be doing. You see, this doesn't spread at all if all we do is huddle up here on Sunday. If all we do is come in here and sit down and feel good and hallelujah, good, good father, amen, and then we go out and we say nothing with our voices about the hope we have for Jesus, then this is not spreading anywhere. In fact, the church becomes our quarantine. Think about that. I'll come in here. And he's a good, good father. But out there, I won't even speak his name. And most of it is because we have some high level that we feel must be attained before we can go speak out about the things that he's done in our lives. Now, don't get me wrong. When you're preaching up here and you're working through scriptures and stuff, people can critique and say, that's not the context, Rashad, and the Greek didn't really mean that, and this, and you don't know the story. But what can they tell you about your testimony? What can they tell you about your story? Who up here, who's going to correct Gracie or Emily and say, nah, girl, you got that part wrong? She's like, who, you don't know what he's done in my life, right? What you going to say to Malia? No, no, actually, you need to change that. No, no, no. This is my testimony. This is my encounter, my experience with Jesus. So you take that, and that's your voice right there. It says that they brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at them and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. And I like this because here's what happens. When you go out and you share the gospel, you're just inviting. I want to invite you to meet Jesus. He'll do the saving. I'm, I can't say, you know when we say, I led somebody to Christ, I've led many people to Christ. Can't, can't even remember the number anymore. I never saved any of them. Like, think about that language. Sometimes we think if you lead somebody to Christ, you save them. You didn't do anything. You just set up 
the appointment, right? You're like, hey, I want to introduce you to the one who changed my life. They're looking at me, and they're like, Rashad, how'd you stop watching porn? How'd you stop drinking? How'd you stop cheating on your wife? How'd you become a better father and actually involved in your daughter's life? How did all these things happen? Man, is this, is this dude named Jesus? I, let me introduce you, because I don't have the answers on how I did it, because I didn't do it. Make sense? My nature was utterly sinful. And there was nothing I could do to change that. I said last service, if I asked everybody in here um, to, to go to Arizona, you could pick a couple ways. You could fly, you could drive, you could do some things like that. But no matter how hard you grunted and uh, you could not grow wings, right? Because it's, it's just not in your nature to have wings. And, and so how, no matter what you do, uh, you won't grow wings. That's getting weird, right? Like, okay, 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 I'll stop. But, but, but here, here's the thing, here's the thing. Um, what's not possible with man is possible with God. Now, I'm not saying he's going to give you rings he's not, or wings. He's not Red Bull or nothing like that. But, but he's, he's, look at this, look at this. You can't change your sinful nature. God has to change it. What's impossible for man has to be done by God. So all your preaching and your teaching and your proclaiming and everything you're nervous about, about how you can't get it right or you might mess it up, it's not on you to save. It's not on you to change their nature. It's on you to create the conversation between them and Christ. That's your responsibility. Lead them to Christ. Don't lead them to you. You ain't even got to lead them to your church building. Lead them to Christ and let him have the conversation. And you should know this if you know your personal story, if you know your testimony. We, we heard time after time, I was raised up in the church, I was growing, in, and that's great. But at some point, they had a personal experience. So the, there's nothing wrong with church attendance, nothing wrong with growing in your word and all that good stuff, but it has to lead to an actual encounter with Christ for something inside to happen as a result of maybe what's going on on the outside. Amen. And so the next day, he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And now Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. So there's some closeness here. And Philip found his boy Nathaniel and said, spoke to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He didn't give a whole bunch of everything else. He didn't preach a sermon. He just told him who he had found. That's it. Use your voices. Nathaniel said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Like, can anything come out of Avon, right? Like, any good thing come out of Avon? No, they're Orioles. We don't uh, <laughs> We got Avon people here? Ah, anyway. <laughs> all right, all right, my bad. Avon Barbershop, I'm sorry. Good things happen in Avon. I just dogged him. But look at this. So Philip said, to him, Philip said, and I ain't got to fade anyway. Philip said to him, Come and see. Like, that's all he said. Like, just come and see. I want to introduce you to the one. I want to, like, if you don't think he is what he is, I don't have to argue that, right? I don't have to argue and debate and all this good stuff. Hey, you don't believe me? Come see for yourself. Have, have you ever done that? Like, you, you have a good burger or you see a good movie or you see a good show and, and somebody's like, I was waiting to see that, but I just wasn't sure. And you're like, girl, you need to go see that. Or, man, that movie was tight. Like, that movie was dope, right? Like, you're, you're just basically telling them that you had a good experience and that they need to experience as well. You do it already in every area of your life. You already do it. 
But when it comes to the one that you say is in control of life and death, the author of salvation, all of a sudden, your cat's got your tongue? Like, you believe in, in a Five Guys burger more than Jesus? Right? Like, th- this is what we do. We, we, we boast and brag on all these other things. But when it comes to Jesus, we're like, well, for what? You are the voice. You. Each and every one of you who believe, you are the voice, God's voice, inviting repentance into salvation. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Like he's in shock. And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Once again, he, the, the one inviting, the one inviting ain't got to do nothing else but just create the conversation. Jesus took care of the, wet, the rest. And Nathaniel answered him and said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You see that response? And then Jesus, look at Jesus. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Like, you was impressed with that? Man, wait till I come out the grave, right? Wait, you ain't seen nothing yet. You thought I was, you thought I was all that because I knew you was under the fig tree. Oh, you ain't seen nothing yet, boy. I'm about to resurrect. I'm about to conquer the grave, right? But, but that's what I'm saying, like, all he did was invite Nathaniel, come and see. That's it. Just come and see. Just come spend some time with him. In fact, I'll take you. That's discipleship. I'll take you. And let's open up the Bible together. And like, so how do, how do I introduce him to Jesus? Let's open up the Bible together. Let's, let's read the Gospels together. And let's find out more about this guy named Jesus who died for our sins so that we could, so we could be saved, so that we could have eternity with the Father, the Creator. Like, come and see. Come and learn about him. Come and meet him. I want to introduce you to the one who saved me. How simple is that? I mean, here's the, here's the sad thing. We do it even with our church. This is, this is what we do. And, and let me just tell you right off the top, I'm not Christ. I'm jacked up. But this is what you'll do. Oh, man, you got to come hear my pastor. Y'all do that all the time. Oh, you, you need to come hear my, you come see. Man, he, mm-mm. What we're trying to teach you is that they don't have to come here to meet Christ. You are the voices that can introduce them to Christ. No preaching on a Sunday morning can trump what you can do in an intimate relationship where people trust you, know you personally, and you introduce them to Christ. Use this as the gas station that will fill them up with more knowledge and understanding and deepen the relationship. But, but what we want is to get out of the building and infect the entire community, infect Hendricks County, infect Indiana, infect the United States. We want to take over this. We want heaven on earth, right? And the only way we do that is by going out and being the virus of God. And so it starts with intimacy. If you notice those relationships, it was a brother talking to his brother. It was a friend talking to his friend. The first people you are going to infect are those closest to you. Get over the family issues. and all. Man, these people need Jesus just like you. Who cares if they drank the rest of the Kool-Aid? Is that just me? All right, that's just me. All right. <laughs> like, like intimacy. It starts with intimacy. Stop thinking, go make disciples, and start thinking as you are going make disciples. See, go make disciples makes me think I got to go to India, right? Go make disciples makes me think I got to go out the state. I got to go up to a stranger. But see... 
as you are going, which is what the Hebrew, I mean, excuse me, is what the Greek says there. It, it really means as you are going, as you're going where? To work, to the gym, to the basketball court. To the, to the softball fields, to whatever your child does that's got you so busy, right? As you're there, look around. Look. Love. Learn. Live, right? As you're around, make disciples. As you're among them, make disciples. You ain't got to go find new people. You can start with your circle. Start with your Jerusalem. After you run out, then move on to Judea and Samaria, right? So stop thinking Go. The Greek literally is having gone as you're on your, re- on your way, the rhythm of your life. Whatever the rhythm of your life is, you go to the gym every day, 6 o'clock. I bet you there's somebody that goes to the gym every day, 6 o'clock with you, and you don't even know them. They're in your rhythm. Just go invite, right? Just go invite. And so intimacy is the relationship which leads to influence. As you build intimacy, you gain access to people's life. In this room alone, there are many of you who I didn't know four years ago. Four years later, because of intimacy, I know some of the deepest, darkest secrets in your life, and here's where intimacy counts. You know some of the deepest, darkest secrets in mine. See, it can't be a one-way thing. It has to be mutual, right? And so we grow in this intimacy, and as we grow in this, you trust me more. You see I'm not judging you. You see I'm not, con- I'm not being condescending with you. I'm right across the table with you. We break bread together. We do life together, discipleship, five non-families, all these things, right? And as that intimacy grows, you give me permission to speak into your life. You tell me that you trust me. And when I get that trust, I have influence now, and that creates the reception. So when I say, hey, we've been working out for the last six months. We didn't have some, you know, some good workouts. We didn't been in the gym and passed gas together. I mean, all this, we intimate now, right? We just intimate now, right? And so now, when you're having this problem in your marriage, and you're showing me an actual felt and faith need, I can introduce you to Christ. I can invite you, and you're going to receive me. Why? Because I have influence in your life now. I've, I've earned it. By spending time with you, intimate time with you. And so that creates the invitation right there. Now I can invite you in and say, come and see, because I don't have the answers, but I know who does. I can't fix your problems, but I know who does. You're struggling in your marriage. I don't have the answers. Any of you who have ever done marriage counseling with me, what do I do? I open up the Bible. I say, this is what God says. I can't give you my opinions because I'm not a great husband myself. I'm just trying to imitate the greatest, (laughs) right? People, financial problems, I just say, this is what the Bible says. Parenting problems, this is what the Bible says. That's all I have. I keep trying to introduce you to Christ. Why? Because I I just want you to come and see his answers, not mine. And so uh, the woman at the well, quick overview of that so that we can get through this because my time's not up back there. All right. And, and so what happens is um, there's this woman, and she's in Samaria. Now, Samaria was, uh, they were mi- a mixed breed. They were half Jew, half Gentile. So they were a mixed breed. They were not fully Jew. And as a result, they were looked down on, and then they had some re- religious beliefs that were a little bit different. So Jews would either go around Samaria, or if they did go through, they would, they would run through it. But there was this encounter that Jesus had when he, got through, when he went through Samaria. It says he had to go through Samaria so he could meet this woman at the well. He got tired. He stopped at the well and a woman came up with her water pot. He told her about herself. He's like, you know, uh, you have five husbands. You've had five husbands. And the man that you're with right now, yeah, that's not your husband either. And that right there would like offend me. Like, Jesus, you, like, first of all, you don't even know me, right? (laughs) But 
but instead it touched her. So it must have been something about the tone and the approach and the way that he approached that because he never looks away from sin, all right? Don't think because Jesus is, is, a, is a loving person that he, he just excuses your sin as if it's not there. No, your sin is still there. But he addressed it in such a way that look what happened. She left her water pot, pot and went into the city. That's the intimacy, the city that she was from, and said to the man, come see a man who told me all the things I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? You see this? Like, she spent some time at a well with Jesus. And in that encounter, she knew enough to go tell others about him. What are we waiting for? The, what, who told you you don't know enough right now in your encounter with Jesus that you can't go tell others about him? Who told you that? Who told you you had to be a biblical scholar to talk to others about Jesus? Who, who told you that? Because that's, a, that's somebody teaching you their religion, not the Bible's religion. Religion's not bad. People's religion is bad. Right? The Bible's religion is good. It's the doctrines. It's the things that we learn. But, but it's when people start inserting themselves and say, well, until you know this, this, and this, you shouldn't speak about God. You might mess it up. And so a lot of us believe that, and as a result, we're quarantined. We will not leave this building. This is what church is to us. Coming here on a Sunday for 45 minutes or however long I preach and the singing, right? And, and this is what makes you a Christian because you're doing this little routine thing, but you're not out there witnessing. You're called to be witnesses. And so the question is not are we initiating repentance because God saves. We don't initiate that. The question is are we inviting repentance? We share. We invite. Hey, come get some of this, Right? I'm not asking you to save people. If I was asking you that, I don't blame you. I wouldn't go anywhere. I'd be like, man, I'm not doing that. I, I'm in charge on whether somebody goes to heaven or hell. Nah, bro, don't, don't sign me up for that. I'm just trying to get my kid out of high school. You know what I mean? But if I said, no, 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 you just introduced them to the one who does the saving. Well, that's a whole different approach. That's a whole different approach. And so invitation allows for a response, and that's what leads to the invasion. That invitation, that allows for the response, and that's when Jesus can start invading somebody. It says that uh, they went out of the city and they were coming to him. And from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the what? The word of the woman who testified. Many of the Samaritans believed on him. It was enough to get them to come see, Right? Because of the word of her testimony. There's people who came up to me last service because of the two testimonies that we heard. And they don't know the ones who gave their testimony. And yet they came up and said, because of that, I want to share this. And, and I need to ask some questions. Can we meet later this week? Because of some testimonies of people who, don't, who aren't even here. And, and yet we know each other and we won't even share our testimonies about what God's done in our lives. Not just from the beginning, but what he do yesterday? What did he do last week? Because, you know, sometimes I need to hear that God is moving in your life. I, I've always said if he's blessing my neighbor, I know he's down the street. Right? So it's not just your when I came to Christ. What did he do yesterday? That's a testimony. What did he do today? That's a testimony. 
And it says, so when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. So now they're asking him, and many more believe because of his word. So I invited, I brought them to Jesus, and then they really start believing because of his word. His word does the work. Invasion produces repentance. Once Jesus starts invading, that's when the conviction starts happening, and now people repent. And I, I, I don't have time. Adam, yes, I do. Get up. Get up. Get up. All right, Adam, get on the stage. Come on, come on. All right, Adam, so this is what repentance looks like. Adam's walking to heaven. I'm walking to hell. Yep, just walk. And then he says, hey, go that way. Say it. Go that way. Thank you. And then I listen. I turn around, make a U-turn, and then we walk together, right? Like, follow the yellow brick road. Thank you, Adam. Give it up for Adam. <laughs> now, that's a very low-level description of what repentance is. I'm walking the wrong way. I'm going the wrong way. I'm living the wrong way. Somebody says, hey, Jesus is that way. Turn around. Go that way. And it invades me. And this, obviously, there's a lot more that goes into this. But I repent. I make a U-turn. I turn around. And then he links up with me, and we do this together. You see that? That's what we're calling for you to do. So that creates the infection. That's what is inside, and now things are starting to change inside of you. And you're infected with Jesus, and infection starts the reproduction. I'll send all these slides out because i got to fly through them. I'm sorry. It's because, it's because Malia went too long. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. <laughs> She's like, what? You said I had as much time as I would? No. All right. So look. And so look at this. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. All right? They're infected now. It's not your testimony no more, JC. It's, 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 not, you. it's not you. It's not you. It's not you. It's not you. And thank you for telling me all these things, but I've read it for myself. I spent some time with it for myself. Oh, man. It's not what you said anymore. For I have heard for myself. They had heard for themselves and Know that this one is indeed the savior of the world. You see that? Now they're infected. They're like, yo, thanks for the invite, but now I'm infected. Man, I hate when I like introduce some people. I'm like, hey man, you need to meet Dave. Clinton, you need to meet Dave. And then like I hit them up like a week later and they're chilling without me. They're like, Y'all didn't call me? Like, oh, man, we enjoy each other so much. We have so much in common. But, but this is what happens, right? I invite people to meet Christ, and next thing I know, they calling me, telling me stuff I didn't know about them because they're infected with them. They're like, oh, man, I can't get enough of them. And so the man, uh, oh, this is another one. This is another one. So real quick, I'm really trying to flow through this, but this is what happens. Um, there's, here's another example. There's a blind man that everybody knows is blind. Jesus comes and gives him sight. Okay? He goes out, he goes away, and he tells the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. That was his testimony. I was blind, now I see. How, how, how'd that happen? I don't know. I was blind, now I see. This dude named Jesus did it. How'd he do it? I don't know. I was blind, now I see. Right? That's all he knew. And look at this. For this reason, because he said that, the Jews were persecuting Jesus. I wanted to show you this because when you are a voice that is inviting people into repentance and to salvation, not everybody's going to say, hallelujah, amen, right? Some people are going to hate you more. What did Jesus say? If they hate you, they hated me first, right? There's going to be persecution. There's people who's going to reject you and all of that. That's okay. That's not your responsibility. See, people's religion tells you if they, if they reject you, you failed. That's not your responsibility. There's a scripture, Hebrews 13, that says, as the pastor of this church, I give an account for your souls. What does that mean? Does that mean if you don't believe in Jesus, I'm in trouble? No. It means I'm, in, I'm responsible for inviting the souls in this house 
to Christ and for giving the information to the souls in this house about Christ to grow them. Your response is on you. In the same way, their response is on them. He's going to hold you accountable to what you're doing with the gift he left you with. What gift? Salvation. You have the gift of salvation. You have the gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you, and you're sitting on it. For what? For what? What are you scared of? The power of resurrection dwells inside of you. What are you afraid of? Failing? You can't fail. Just invite. Just invite. And so the second point, <laughs> visual invite. Look, you are God's visual, inviting repentance into salvation. So it's not just your voices. It's your visual. It's what people see. Uh, I got a letter right here, and I'm going to flow through some of these, so I'm going to skip through some of these. I'll, I'll send them out. But I got a letter right here. I came in here. There's a group called FBI, Faith Bible Institute, that meets here on Tuesdays and Thursdays. A lady wrote me a letter basically saying, are you Rashad Cunningham from Brownsburg High School? And she was like our admin lady. So she knows I called in hooky and tried to sound like my father was shutting on be there today. He, he's sick, you know. So she, she knows all, like a lot of my dirt because she, she was an admin at the school. And she said, I can't believe that you're pastoring a church and I'm so thankful to God that you found your call. And she's like, what, what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing about what's going on at this church, I can't believe that's you. The visual, right? Like, I know who you were, <laughs> And I can't believe that's you. And so that's what happens when we look at the, the demonic man of the Gerasenes. Uh, Jesus goes and heals a, a demon-possessed man that everybody in the town knew. Everybody in Brownsburg knew who I was. Everybody in Brownsburg knew who I was, not because of good things, because of all the bad stuff that I had done. And so uh, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, when he cast the, the legion of demons out and sent them to the pigs and the pigs went over off the cliff, uh, they just lost a lot of bacon, right? But they lost a lot of money, but it was also something miraculous. And so the herdsmen who had saw that and saw the demonic man change, saw a visual change perhaps, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. They testified about Jesus. Now look at this. You know what that means? That means people who weren't even believers, not even Christians, went out and testified about Jesus. You know, there's people in your workplace that if you and them are going through the same thing, like both of y'all, uh, the, the, the company didn't cut the check, and your response is different than their response, they're going to go home and say, yeah, this is Christian lady. This is Christian dude at my work. And he was just like, I can do all things through Christ. I don't even know what that means even more, but he, he just took it and kept going. Or, or if, they, if there's some friends in your life who don't believe in Jesus and uh, somebody didn't cheat on you in your marriage, Somebody didn't hurt you in ways that you, uh, and, and they're like, there's no way I could love or pray for them. But then they see you loving and praying them and sticking out in your marriage. Don't you know that's going to testify even through the non-believer? Like, like we want to see miracles? You think parting the Red Sea, telling water to split was a hard thing for God when water can't talk back? And be like, no, nah, God, we just going to stay here and not split. The water ain't going to talk back. The water doesn't have a choice. But when a human being says, because of the sake of the Lord, no matter what my husband or my wife done to me, I'm sticking it out of my marriage, you don't think that speaks? You don't think that speaks? You don't think that visual makes people go, what? Well, that makes no sense to me. And you're like, exactly, it's divine. Let me introduce you to him. Right? 
That's how this works. So they ran out. They told people to come see. And when they came and saw, what did they find? They found this man who they knew was a demon-possessed man and that the demons had gone out. He was sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. They became frightened. What? This dude was crazy. What? There's people who have told people in this church. Rena, you can attest to this for me, can't you? Somebody has told people in this church, don't go here because of who Rashad, didn't they, Rena? Somebody told Rena, do not go to church on the rock. I know him. You see that? I know him. There's no way that, that this is the real thing. He's manipulated. He's up to something. And they had every right based on who I was. But Rena, because of God, walked through the doors on her own and said, well, I don't know what he used to be, <laughs> but I know who he is right now. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's all I know. Right, Rena? Right? And so what happens is those who had seen it reported it to them. Rena went out and started telling her, there's people here because of Rena. She's like, man, they said this. Mm-mm. All I know is that Jesus is there. I don't know about him. He all right, but Jesus is there. <laughs> right? So y'all should come see more about Jesus. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked Jesus to leave. So even though Jesus was there, even though they saw the miracle, they, they heard the voice, saw the visual, they still said, get him out of here. So this is what happened. The man whom the demons had gone out, he was begging Jesus, can I go to your seminary? Can I go to your Bible college? Can I, can I just sit with you, Jesus, for the next three years and learn more about you? But Jesus sent him away. What? Not in America. In America, hold on, Jesus, you're releasing him too soon. He's got to learn all the ologies first. No, Jesus sent them away because imitation leads to release. The moment you find somebody who wants to be like Jesus, you release them. You release them. You stay with them, but you release them and say, because you are, ch- you are following after Christ, you are ready to go. You just do that everywhere you go. That's it. And that low level of release changes everything. And so what happens is, look what, he, look what Jesus said to him. No, 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 don't come with me to this Bible school. Go back to your house, intimacy, and describe what great things God has done for you. So what did he do? He didn't complain. He just obeyed. That's it. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city that gr- what great things Jesus had done for him. That's it. That's all we're asking you to do here. And so I'm finishing up now. I'm finishing up. You can take a picture of this because I know I was flowing through it, but intimacy is the relationship. It leads to the influence. That creates the reception, which leads to the invitation. That allows for a response, which leads to the invasion, and produces repentance, which leads to the infection that starts the reproduction. And then imitation leads to a release. This is a discipleship process, but honestly, we made it even more simple. Look, love, learn, live. (laughs) Look for people around you as you're going. Love them. Help them learn who Jesus is. And then tell them to go live it out. That's it. That's it. That's why those words are up there. You're like, oh, that's what the words meant. I was going to get it in sometime soon, right? And so this is what I want to show you. Sharing Jesus should be a byproduct of you meeting, meeting Jesus. If you've really met him, you should share him. Anytime you have something good, you tell people about it, all right? I'm just going to flow through some of these. And finally, there's victory inviting repentance into salvation. So you are God's victory. The Bible says this. A loud voice, was, this is in Revelations 12, a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. That's Satan, right? The accuser. But look at this. How did they get victory over him? They overcame him because of the blood of the lamb, that's Jesus, 
And look at this, and because of the word of their testimony. You see that? The blood of the lamb plus your testimony overcomes the enemy, the accuser. And so I got a couple things. Are you God's virus or are you Satan's vaccine? Hmm? Are you God's virus or are you Satan's vaccine? God's virus, the real deal infecting people, or the vaccine, the fake thing that's meant to actually destroy the virus. A vaccine resembles the virus so it can destroy the virus. Am I right? You're like talking to the nurse people in here. Am I good? Somewhat? Ah, I tried. Okay, I tried. But, but, but seriously, some people have found out, honestly, that um, the whole time they were actually just a vaccine. And then through actually having an encounter with Christ, they're like, oh, this whole time I was the vaccine. And now I want to be the virus. In fact, our first baptism today, Susan Grace, put your hand up. Clap for her. Susan, I'm going to tell the story right now, but Susan came up to me after last week's sermon. We were talking about the outward religion, the outward respect, the outward everything. And she says, I was baptized a while ago at Brownsburg Christian, but the real thing didn't happen until later after that. For her own reason, she, she was baptized back then. And remember, I told you guys, I was baptized five times before it was the real thing, right? Ponderosa, right, you know. <laughs> and so she came up and said, I need to be baptized again. I said, why? She said, because the real encounter, the real relationship didn't happen until later, until God, until I had an actual meeting with him. And now I want to do this in obedience, not out of obligation. That's why she's getting baptized. And that should say something to everybody in here, because you know what I mean? People don't want to get baptized because they're like, oh, I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit that I wasn't really saved. No, 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 no. There's no shame. There's no shame here, right? And so the enemy wants to isolate and quarantine the virus. He wants you in here thinking that this is it, thinking that you need to stay in here and not go anywhere and not pour into anybody, that, you, that this is it, that, you're, that this is all there is. And we don't want that. And so I'm going to skip that one. <laughs> I'm going to skip that one too and that one and that one and go right here. All right. <laughs> I'll send out the rest. But we want you to be God's voice, be God's visual, be God's victory. Be God's virus. That's what we're asking you to do. Every time you see coronavirus now, I want you to think about this sermon instead and get rid of that fear. And just start thinking to yourself, if this thing is out there going after people that hard, if this virus is out going after people that hard and that fiercely, how much, how much harder should I be going after people who are in my circles and in my life and trying to infect them with the love and the light and the glory of Jesus Christ, right? And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to start getting, we're going to get ready for the baptism. I'm going to have a worship team come up. Yep, sorry. It went a little long because we had some, some testimonies, all right? But um, think about this because the song is called, the song is called um, Simple Gospel, all right? And there's, there's, there's people who fight about this song, and they say, um, um, I don't like the part where they say I'm laying down my religion, right? Because you, don't, you shouldn't lay down your religion, uh, religion matters. Religion does matter. But if you listen to the words, he says, I'm laying down my religion. And then he tells you what that is. I've been told that I don't measure up. I've been told to be ashamed. I've been told I'm not good enough. That's part of their religion. The, the, he says, I, I thought I could box God in. Let me tell you something. Um, as we're speaking about testimonies and everything else, um, everything about this church is different in so many ways. And I've been told that 
that we're not doing it right. I've been told I'm too unpolished as a pastor. I've been told I'm too intimate. I'm too vulnerable. I've been told a whole lot of stuff by a whole lot of people trying to give me their religion. But all I did was read the Bible. And I saw how Christ released people at a very, very low level of just, have you had an encounter with me? And then stay with those who led you to me so that they can raise you up. That's all we're asking you to do here. Because I'm looking around this room and I can't imagine what you've been told as a Christian. And I can't imagine what you've told yourself as a Christian. That's kept you quiet, kept you quarantined, kept you isolated from the world. But God says you are the voice, you are the visual, you are the victory that is going to invite people into repentance and to salvation. So that's what we're calling for you to be. And I thank you for giving me a little bit more extra time to get through that because I think it's vital. If there's anything you take from this, it's, it's that we want you to believe that it starts with you. You don't have to bring them back here. You have everything you need in your testimony alone to introduce people to Jesus Christ. So let's get out of these walls and get into the world and infect it with the love of Christ. Amen? Let's stand up and sing.
Thank you. 
This podcast is a ministry of Church on the Rock, building his body, breaking our barriers. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at www.churchontherockbb.com.